0: The Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits. At the big ball, East Tennessee State Buccaneers. They're dancing, boys. Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Ball Pelican's game. Spawning for three. The place is gonna erupt. Oh, Deuce Bello. He's gonna make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, a game winner, right. got it. Ball game. On they got game. him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks
1: have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Who in the blue hell are you? <laughs> You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent.
2: It's Sandoz and the Sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Monday, Mike another edition of Sandoz and Sidekick with
0: you. We're going to talk football as ETSU football is 10 straight now, right? 10 straight FCS games decided by a single score or less, and uh, Coach, I think, called it a blowout because they won by more than a field goal because it was 24-20, so we'll recap all of that. We certainly want to get into one of our favorite segments, Portal Watch, and then we will have uh, a chat Mike Gallagher had uh, a little bit earlier today as we announced the new head coach at ETSU Basketball in Desmond Oliver, so we'll talk uh, about that, we'll lead into that, maybe then a Portal Watch to kind of set that up a little bit, but we'll talk basketball, we'll talk football. Uh, and certainly talk transfers, because uh, uh, a lot of SOCON teams losing people, including in our very own Blue and Gold. So we'll talk about that, um, thoughts, opinions like we normally do, and take some shots at other schools as we like to do, because, you know, it's our podcast, so that's what we do. Let's talk football first, and it was a situation where I feel like it's a broken record. ETSU, I felt like, was the better team and probably should have won by two or three scores. But they won and they keep moving on. And now it's the weird if if they beat Mercer, right? Because I know a lot of people are like, What's well, really unfair, how the thing plays out because of Chattanooga, but you had to beat VMI to even really get the conversation to there. And now you have to turn around and beat Mercer. And we'll talk about that later in the week and all the things that maybe need to go in that. And a chance because a lot of bubble teams did lose. And there are more games to be played the next couple weeks. So ETSU is not uh, sort of dead in the water, if you will, and use a Buccaneer term, as far as getting into the playoffs if they do not win the Southern Conference. They obviously need to win out. They may need to schedule one more game on the 17th. We'll see how that goes. But this game was really about, for me, the interesting comment Quay Holmes said after the game and the comment that Randy Sanders backed up, which was basically we don't have sailors, We thought maybe they would play Bryson Irby. thought maybe Trey Foster, maybe D.J. Twitty would get carries.
1: It was Quay Holmes,
0: more Quay Holmes. When you didn't think there was enough Quay Holmes, you got Quay Holmes. And he basically said, you know, normally I try to look for big plays, do whatever, but Coach told me don't do that. We need three yards. We need to keep the chains moving. Don't try to get a couple yards and then lose a yard. Just fight for three, four, kind of do what the play's designed to do, and we'll be able to win this game. And I thought that was very interesting because it made sense after the fact. Not really in the game, I didn't really think Quay was doing anything different, but it shows you the depth that Coach Sanders sort of had in the game plan. It also shows you how great a running back Quay Holmes is because he swallowed all pride to say, I could get 200 yards or I could do this, and I'm getting all these carries, I want to do that. I want to do what Coach asked me to do to get my team to win. And he played, I think, all but two snaps. I think there was maybe two offensive snaps that he wasn't in the game for. Uh, that's all I think I could find. I know one for sure we found, and some else thought they found another one. But there's a chance out of the whatever total plays there were in that, uh, like 70 plays, he was all on the field but two, and continues to be a great workhorse for ETSU.
2: Yeah, when you have to look for the specific plays throughout the day, and you have to really scrounge through and uh, deep dive to make sure that you're missing one i mean that says a guy was on the field what 95 98 99 percent of the time quite impressive and we know Quay Holmes can be that and he never shies away from it you know every time you hear him talk about playing time he says i want to be out there i don't take plays off i'm here for my team i can carry the load i think he thrives in that environment and maybe the mindset was different we know he's capable of whatever he was asked to get from randy sanders per rush uh, to get 4.7 still and coach sanders talked about it a little bit to expound on what you were saying some of those three yard rushes it's just a way to compartmentalize what he's trying to do right don't look for the big run because you're never going to get it but if you look for the three yard run maybe you bounce off a couple tackles make that five six seven and how valuable are those runs in a game like ets you wanted to play and how valuable are they right now with brock landis who I think we saw time and again was so, so close on defaults. You talked about it on the show, I think it was on Tuesday of last week, um, and we would have talked more about it on uh, Thursday if we had a show. But the game plan opening up for Brock Landis, because we saw 16 throws his first start. Goes 8-16, not really much outside the box, pretty basic in terms of what they asked him to do. And your question was you thought it may resemble um, a bit of a uh, unleashing of him of sorts. And, and it was a little bit. I'm not sure there was the amount of success that the Bucks would have liked. 8-16 to 11-27, to, 11 to 27, you know, you throw 11 more times, you get three more completions. But there were shots over the top, and quite frankly, some of them were there. Landis just missed.
0: Yeah, I think that's – he connected on some, and that was good to see that there were pass plays down the field being made. I think there was a couple of adjustments he made throwing – and the one that was really regrettable was the interception because I realized probably kind of dang if you do, dang if you don't. Because a lot of times people, I just run the ball, make them use timeouts. But at the same time, it was like, oh man, we couldn't try to fool them here. We couldn't do whatever. And then when you do, it's like, man, we should have ran the ball, right? It's always sort of the fan and everybody. The play going back and watching it again, wide open. The way they got everybody nine, you know, 10, 11 guys in the box. they play action and they roll to the right, and they throw back left, and Quay Holmes is running down the sideline, and that was the one throw that you could tell because they have a good shot, if you go back and watch the replay, of the ball being thrown by Landis and him kind of guiding it, and you can tell he didn't unleash it. He's got a big arm, and you can tell he kind of wished it out there because either he was so open, and that's what we kind of heard about Rydell, right? Like he's not letting it go, right? If you... Think little, miss little, right? Think big, miss big. And I think the one thing about that is if he overshot Quay running down the sideline, worst case scenario, it's an incomplete pass. The only thing you couldn't do was underthrow it. And to, to give a little bit of credit, A.J. Smith made a spectacular jump in the air, ball behind the head interception and give him credit, but that shouldn't have ever happened. He should have been able to let it loose. I think he made some throws there that looked like he was getting more comfortable. I think the throw to Nate Atkins on the sideline for first down after the Bucks had like a, I think it was the bad snap and it was third and thirty something. Second thirty, but yeah, it was. Phenomenal. Yeah, second the
2: Sixteen yard run and then the sixteen yard completion or whatever it was. And then
0: um, I thought again the throw in the fourth quarter with the Bucks down, uh, down the sideline. I think it was to uh, Lane Price came back and caught the ball. He um, hit Huzzy on a couple other ones, but I felt like those were confident building throws. Also, a couple pennant flags were not used to going ETSU's way. Certainly went their way on two pass interference calls on third down, where ETSU was able to help take advantage of the chains. But I saw some things in Landis, and I think the more reps he gets, and I'm hoping that they continue to, to let the game plan sort of grow with him and be able to let him throw the football. I think it stunk that Isaiah Wilson was out because that would have been a good matchup against coverage. I felt like a man-to-man press, like he can win off the line. He can run, very good route runner, Um, good when the ball's in the air. I felt like if ETSU had one more weapon, that probably would have helped because they did play just a lot of two tights. I know Desi Lester got some time. They basically were like, hey, we're going to split out Nate Atkins and Noah West. You guys are going to play some receiver and tight end, and we're going to do different things with you. So it did open up some. I felt like ETSU has been great into the first half, start of the second half, right? They were able, and I wish – they would have got the touchdown in the first half, but they got points on the board and do what they do, immediately put points uh, in the second half. And it was a little bit of an adventure because the second half kick was taken by Holmes, hits big, gets hit from behind, fumbles forward, and I think it was Sh- uh, Sheldon Arnold uh, picked it up and carried it a few extra yards. So that was uh, an interesting break for ETSU, but the Bucks went down there and scored. And then the missed opportunity after the interception by Elijah Huzzy, who continues to make defensive play after defensive play. ETSU misses another field goal, and that's where I want to sound a little bit of alarm because I keep believing that at every position ETSU is better at most special teams. But there's still some mistakes being made, whether it's a 24-yard punt, whether it's a missed field goal, whether it's a penalty on a return, whether it's Huzzy filling the ball, he's shitting have fumble. And I know Holmes put it on the ground, which hardly ever happens, and it luckily worked out to ETSU, but there are some mistakes in the kicking game that ETSU hasn't cost him tremendously yet, but they're kind of walking that fine line.
2: Yeah, that being said, Garrett Taylor has a career long punt you know, 61, 61 yeah. yards and pins VMI at, I think it was like the, two, the two yard line. That sounds right. Uh, was, that, was that the second quarter, right? I mean, you had, so I thought one of the interesting trends for VMI, and this didn't end up costing him the first time, but it really did the second time you have that pass interference penalty. Will Huzzy from Landis incomplete third and four in like the second quarter and you called it right away. It didn't really look like it was needed. That was going to be an incomplete pass. Now you then end up getting the Garrett Taylor punt for 61 yards. So VMI is able to hold, but the Bucks do you know flip the field and that kind of led to ETSU going and getting that field goal um, that would end well, essentially end the half because you know VMI first down but then it stopped at 28 you take over on the 31 351 to go offense is starting to hit its stride a little bit but in the fourth quarter very first play of the fourth quarter i thought that was such a huge momentum shift and obviously the drive does end with a touchdown for etsu and ultimately the final points of the game so yeah you can say i'm not a rocket scientist for being able to figure out that oh a scoring drive shifted the game but all the momentum was for VMI going into that fourth quarter. was it 20-17 and you got a Quay Holmes run, then a first down and another run, but then it's incomplete, loss of one, third and 11. And another situation where, I don't know if you'd like to revise your statement, but I looked at it again too and it looked like not needed from VMI. Uh, no, I agree. I, I think the
0: reason why it was called because whenever you put your arm around a guy and you turn him almost a 360, that's that's almost – that's sort of the rule. You can put your hand – I think that's a misconception. You can put your hands on a receiver. You can put your hand around his waist. put your hand on his shoulder as long as you don't turn them in any way, fashion. And I don't know that Huzzy had a shot at the ball either way. I just thought it was that one was more elementary because of the, the turning and whipping around. But I guess to your point, was it needed? No. Not I, needed. I, it's probably the right call, turned. I think, in both yeah, the, he,
2: instances. But yeah, probably
0: right call. both. the second one – was was definitely more textbook than I think the first pass interference call, but both balls were not going to be caught by an ETSU player. So then you have
2: the pass interference that puts you down to, what, the 41, and then two plays later it's the big play to Hussie, and then you have the, uh, was that the slant? Is that that the slant for the touchdown? What was that? No, that Hussey slant for a touchdown was earlier in the game, wasn't it? The Hussey slant was off
0: off the uh, play action, right? Yeah, uh, that was in the second.
2: So you had the Landis pass down to the four and then the Holmes rush for touchdown. That's right. So you had the 40-yard touchdown for Holmes, um, who I think he just won like a National Player of the Week honor. I mean, he could really win it every single week, it seems like. But huge momentum shift there. So, yes, the kicking game did hurt. Now, you said earlier that you thought ETSU was kind of definitively the better side, could have won by two or three scores. I'm starting to do this thing where I look every week and try to figure out what the turning point is when I knew ETSU was going to win. And, and this is kind of in jest but kind of serious. I looked last week, and when Western Carolina, off the muff punt from Elijah Huzzy, got a field goal instead of a touchdown, yep. that felt to me like that was huge, and that made me certainly believe that ETSU was going to be the better team the rest of the way. The defense was going to be there, and they were going to go on to victory, even though, yes, Western Carolina got a touchdown. After that, it was 17-7 to at one point. Regardless, that seemed like a this is who this team is in Western Carolina not being able to convert, and this is who this team is ETSU and bowing their neck as Randy Sanders and yourself like to say um, and really making sure that that wasn't going to take the entire game and flip it towards Western Carolina. And I thought that this week against VMI because the game was all the key nets in the first, what? Definitely the first quarter. Yes. And they get 13 points on what really could have been three touchdown drives should have been 21 if they had to do it over again they
0: should have 21 on the board
2: when the defense holds two field goals instead of two touchdowns and all of a sudden it's what 13 to 7 and you're right there I would have looked up the scoring uh, the scoreboard if I was on that sideline and said wow it feels like we're getting absolutely dominated and we're right in this game
0: I think that was I think Robert may have said that Harper on the sideline was you know if you could out here and score believe it or not nothing's really gone your way, and they've gone up down the field on you, and you can score and get up 14-13. And it did, in the first part of the game, the key that's going up and down, I think, again, Robert's pretty astute on there, and he caught something we didn't, which was on the scramble by Seth Morgan, got hit on the throwing shoulder. And I went back, I think he had threw seven of nine passes were incomplete. So he's two for nine during a stretch. Other than that, beginning of the game and end of the game, he was great. I mean, flat out great. He was 12 for 12 to start the game. Then he threw a ball away to go 12 for 13, and then DeLentz almost made a one-handed interception to make him 12 for 14. Then he completes the next four or five passes, gets hit on the shoulder, and from that point forward, which led to one of those field, led to the second field goal actually, and one of those throws was a horrific one behind the receiver that probably should have been picked off too if ETSU's defender wasn't playing so far behind and it hit him, hit him on the back shoulder, he probably would have been paying attention. He could have caught it, but, again, he was in a trail position. It might have been DeLintz as well, in a trail position behind there. But it seemed like Morgan was sort of off rhythm after his shoulder got hit, and then it took him mid-late third third quarter when they started throwing the short passes again. And, and that was one thing I will say. I was very confused, and, I, and, I, and if I didn't talk about it enough in the – in the game, and I tried to hammer it in, but the first part of the game, kind of like Western, they found a lot of success and caught ETSU, I think, off guard, and then they kind of went away from it and never went back to it. And, and VMI did, in the fourth, kind of get back to it and got more success again. But when they ran something that took a second and a half, two seconds to develop, ETSU was constantly in the backfield as the game went along. In the first part of the game, it was catch a snap, throw it, catch a snap, throw it. It really wasn't hold it. In the fourth quarter, it was catch a snap, throw it, and then they had a couple minimal middle mistakes. Like they had a bad snap that kind of played into it. And then you had to make a play that had to go. Then you had Tyree Robinson reading the play and blasting the guy behind the line of scrimmage by a few yards. And then, you know, that changed sort of how that drive went. They couldn't throw short passes. But the short passing game for VMI in the first quarter and really – fourth quarter was very successful for the key but they didn't really go back to it because you look at Jacob Harris, he had four catches 72 yards on the first drive he didn't catch another ball the second half and it was just very confusing on where or why they didn't want to use him anymore and I know he just switched some things up, but my goodness that guy 6'4", 218 yes, and he was still when they doubled him a little bit uh, at times they still threw to him now he ended up having the the fumble that ended the game, and even if it, um, you know, even if somehow that was an incomplete, it was going to be a pass interference, and that was one of those calls that Billy Taylor had been begging for the entire time, and he ended up getting. But the Bucks, Tyree Robinson, again, was there to come over the top of a double screen uh, pick play and fight around it, create a fumble, and sort of seal the deal. But it was incredible to see Tyree Robinson fly around, Mike Price, who was the guy that hit Seth Morgan. In the shoulder. He almost got ejected again. So, the one thing about Mike Price, buddy, he is, he is, I, I don't, you know, in the old days you say you're head hunting, and I don't think Price necessarily headhunting. He, plays he him with a little bit he, of reckless abandon. He just really wants to hit people hard. <laughs> and if it happens to be somewhere that uh, has him exit the game, then he seems to be fine with that. But uh, on replay, first glance, I agree with everybody. I thought Mike Price was going to miss the rest of that half, miss yet another first half. But when you go back and look at it, he's he more of a Deacon Jones clothesline, old school from the 50s tight play than anything else, but I, I thought it was a tremendous job by the defense who gave up another first drive touchdown and looked like you know they've been hit in the mouth and didn't know what was coming, to then kind of bowing their necks on the next two drives and just holding the field goals, to then just being pretty much dominant except for one drive in the third quarter.
2: Yeah, through 20 minutes, it was TD, field goal, field goal, and what 78, 59, 76 yard. BMI was moving the ball up and down the field, and then they had only one drive over 42 yards the rest of the game. And four of them were 16 yards or under. And Elijah Huzzy was, you mentioned, absolutely fantastic. I mean, that that interception was one of the better catches you're going to see. And you mentioned it on the broadcast. What Randy Sanders often says about the FCS to that BS level is those defensive backs, a lot of them just cannot catch the ball. And BMI... Had a chance to house one the other way, a pick six early on of the game. I almost forgot about that. Oh, goodness, it was It was right. on the
0: first drive of the game. They should have been. That, that was one of the worst drops because that oh. kid read that perfectly. Yep. And could have, And he could have Deion Sanders high-stepped it from midfield. Nobody would have caught him.
2: There was, at best, maybe two or three bucks that were even with him, and they would have been offensive linemen or the quarterback. There was nobody that was going to catch him. And it went right through his hands. That could have changed the complexion of the game. But what actually changed it was obviously ETSU's defense in general but part of that was Elijah Huzzy and that just full extension laying out kind of against his body's momentum, plus he has 13 tackles. And then Tyree Robinson, you look at his line and it's what, 8 tackles, 6 of them solo with a couple tackles for a loss break breakup and a forced fumble, like just stuffing the statue. Donovan Manuel is obviously huge in coming back, 10 tackles and a tackle for a loss. Um, it is interesting to see the pattern that has continued to unfold this season and not even sure if you look back at the schedule. You know, Sanford, we obviously know that that followed that pattern. Um, Furman, ah. It was the only when yes, it was reversed, right? They were dominant and then yes. it kind of went away in the third quarter. So much it self-inflicted,
0: though. There was the penalties and they lost composure, if we're going to be honest about it. Uh, defense and offense, I think a couple calls didn't go their way and they did not handle it the right way. Now, we all can argue over good, bad call, all that fun stuff. But eventually, you have to weather that, and that was the only time I think ETSU didn't show themselves like a confident championship team, more of a team that was wishing something good would happen, and then kind of crying spilled milk and didn't have it go their way. So that was, and that was really one quarter. It's the one game that you
2: lost. And it was. You start fast, and you yeah. lost. I mean, it's unbelievable. You're up by ten, or I'm sorry, down by ten against VMI. You're down by uh, to Western Carolina by ten. The Citadel, uh, you're down by a touchdown. Uh, Sanford, obviously, to start the season, you're down by 14 before you're out of the first quarter. (laughs) And then the defense does what it does. The offense settles into the game, comes on strong. And, yeah, it's just strange to see that that Furman game is the one and only. I I mean, Furman almost DTSU DTSU in that case. But, um, yeah, interesting to see what we got going forward. You know, that last week still isn't resolved yet. I don't know how it will be resolved. I know there's scuttlebutt here and there about different options, but it seems like still, unfortunately, TSU is in the situation of needing help to be in the Southern Conference, um, well, to be the Southern Conference champions because VMI has got the Citadel. Now the Citadel did show signs of life last I, week. I, I,
0: 20, was it 24-7 they were down and came all the way back yeah, and won 28-24? Right.
2: Or 21-7 it was 24-21 or something like that. Yeah, like yeah. And, I, I think yeah. they
0: scored three touchdowns to come, come from behind to win it. And because when I checked the, sc- I remember checking the score, and it was 14-17, whatever it was. Wofford was up, and then just thinking, well, you know, Citadel's not. Because I was basically seeing if Citadel had any fight left in them, and didn't check back in until like five minutes going to fourth, and Citadel was down to score and driving, and didn't pay attention to again. Seven, yeah, and
2: then and then they scored right. again with like a,
0: a couple minutes left or something. Yeah. So another tough loss for Josh Conklin, who just cannot get out of Spartanburg fast enough. If he is the head coach in the fall, I think it'll be a Christmas miracle.
2: Christmas miracle for Wofford or for ETSU? No, for, I, mean, I, I
0: think uh, for Wofford, because I think no, he I'm is big. Be- and the bad thing is, I guess, because spring football, maybe stabs ago, he may have to wait one more year, but he is desperately... He was trying to get out before spring season. I think he is certainly, if not trying to get out himself, the Wofford people will be trying to get him out.
2: I think it'll be a Christmas miracle then for the rest of the SoCon, too, because clearly is Harding in it down there, or I know there's been a lot of things that haven't gone their way as well. It's a strange season, all that, but certainly a bad 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 loss
0: and they're not what one in four it's not good no and and it's one of those like, oh we miss wofford maybe it'll be all right because <laughs> you, you you don't know right you don't know who's good now, who's man. bad whatever and now all of a sudden mercer's won three or four in a row and you're going well maybe we play that wofford game now <laughs> but you got to go down to macon georgia we'll talk about that a little later in the week and that is a team that is continuing to grow so they have been a run 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 and Furman took away the run, and they threw for like 400 yards. So yeah, I thought, it's going to be interesting. I game. hadn't
2: looked at any box scores with Mercer at all, and I thought that I figured Harrison Frost was still a starter. And then this... Carter, Carter Peavy. Kid. Yeah, I mean, he is unbelievable. All of a sudden, this league is full of gunslingers. It's incredible. Liam Welch, Carter Peavy, I mean... Rocklandis? Yeah, there you go. That's Gary's saying. I was going to out <laughs> of that if you didn't. So,
0: ah, offense coming around. But ETSU doing what they do. It's the 10th straight one score game uh, against uh, FCS opponent. And again, ETSU just one win now uh, since the reboot of football, one or more scores. So if nothing else, you get your money's worth. I expect to get that down there at Macon, Georgia as well. All right, subside so up, for a timeout? When we come back? to watch We'll see who's going where, who's put their name in. We'll make predictions, make fun of people, see if we're right and wrong. We'll do that all that and more come up on San Jose on the Bay News Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Breakdown.
2: Five, five, four, four, three, three, two, one, one.
0: Sandos and the sidekick.
2: We have ignition.
0: Strap it on. Here we go. In your face.
1: All over the
2: place. (laughs) All over the
0: place in your face. All right, so this is a segment that we have dubbed a Portal Watch because, you know, we're wordsmiths and come up with something clever. Uh, But we have enjoyed it. We started doing it. And I think uh, since we do take shots at other teams, right, I think it is fair to start with Portal Watch in house and talk about uh, ETSU and. Who is leaving and we could speculate on some why they left I've not talked to anybody we can also uh, assume that some of it is because in case you haven't heard and you're in a closet uh, ETSU has parted ways with Jason Shea or Jason Shea has resigned from ETSU or however you want to look at it uh, coach Shea is not here and we have a new coach in Desmond Oliver next segment Mike Gallagher is sitting down with coach oliver to have a chat talk about his journey and that's one of my favorite things to do is because every story is different there's always interesting stories so we will get that we'll let you set that up at the end of portal watch but when we ended the show tuesday i think and then a lot of things happened thursday we just as you can imagine i think most people sort of know we were covered up with other stuff and could not get a show in
2: that and let's be real i didn't want to do a show it was you. a little. It no was a little. So. It was a little
0: disheartening. Um, I was a little down. I'm still down. And and, I mean, I, and, to and to be honest, I, I still. It, it, it's hard to put into words. It's hard to put in. There's a lot of, a lot of emotion, a lot of things to, talk, speculate, work through. I think there will be, a time, and I'm not trying to put a time frame on it, but there will be a time where I think we. Everybody can decompress, sit back, take a breath, and then talk about it. Right? I, th- I think that's I think that's fair. I've been around here, you know, two decades on campus. I have come to games since the 80s. I've seen a lot of things. Um, I don't know that I've ever been blindsided by something. Um, maybe the Oscars at Teeny would be the closest thing kind of blindsided me, but um,
2: well, here's what I'll say. I don't think. You or I were completely blindsided in the sense of and I'm not saying, you know, neither of us, of course, knew about this at all, Correct. but you and me were sitting here doing the show Tuesday, and I think word came down, what, like mid afternoon Tuesday, that this was the move that the two parties came to terms on. When Greg Heyer got named the coach at Northwest Florida State, it came right when we were on the air, about ten AM maybe, about five hours before the Shea News came down, and you and me both give a glance to each other and my eyes popped out of my head. Yeah, there's a little bit of
0: alarm bells were ringing in my head. That's
2: exactly it and we found out why a bit later. Um, The only thing I can say about it because I have plenty of things that I'd like to say that for understandable purposes, I think you and me both look at each other here, know that I cannot say. Uh, Thanks to Coach Shea for being the good dude that he is. He's a great coach. He's a great person and being specifically on an issue I'm very passionate about, social justice, anti-racism, all of the things that fall under that umbrella, Um, he was an advocate for those causes for his players as well. And I think that says so much about the character of the individual, and I think I tweeted out essentially that on Wednesday or whatever it was, and I'll always stand by that, and I'll always appreciate that about Coach Shea, and I think it's a shame the way things
0: Anytime a coach goes, it, it's always tough whether they leave or ask to leave or any scenario where they're not here because the majority of the coaches that are here we have a personal relationship with. You know, we, we sort of have a running thing at my house that uh, got together with Brian Johnston and we've been doing it for a while and we call it Firefly Fridays. And so we get together, and then the kids go to bed, and the adults sit around, and you sit around the fire and you chat about life or whatever. You talk about whatever. And because a guy lived next to him over, Steve Forbes, he started coming, him and his wife, John And then once he took the Wake Forest job, we invited Jason Shea and Janet to come over because we've kind of built our relationship. So plenty of times. And, and I've done that with, and we, think we call it something different, but when Coach Cole was here, we did that with him. I've done plenty of events at coach kemp's house when when she was here Brittany zell's been over the house we've had several uh good times together so there are a lot of things going on where like on the personal level because you know them and it's much more than business you know since rather it's business of they've got another job whether it's business of you're not winning enough games whether it's just hey this isn't working out whatever like it's, it's sort of part of the deal, and turnover in the athletic department is inevitable and is going to happen. You get people on the same staff staying around for a long time in today's world doesn't happen. I think it was much more doable when I first was here 20 years ago. You know, maybe, again, it was one or two sports, really, records mattered. And in other sports, it was like, "Mm, are you bringing in bad kids? You know, how how are things going? You know, it's almost like don't do anything too crazy, and you can stay here forever. And a lot of major jobs are like that. Now, things have changed. There's obviously other factors that play into a lot of different things, and uh, we're not trying to sidestep or insult anybody's intelligence on what those things are. I think you have to be under a rock to understand the complexity of everything. That being said, wasn't in the room when any decision was made. What wasn't there in any conversation. And I could probably give you plausible things that we will do later, but not not, not today, um, to, again, give us more time to comprehend and decompress. And I do not want to take away from Desmond Oliver's day because this is something he's worked for for 30 plus years and needs to have his moment and needs to be welcomed with open arms. But there are plenty of reasons why I can tell you that people do not know why Coach Shea could walk in there and go. You know, there's a lot of things that have been thrown at me and my family that I never thought would happen. I could go. There are a lot of things you could probably figure out why an administration would be like, are you sure this is what you want to do? There's a lot of things in between that that could happen that we don't know, may not ever know, and we weren't in the room. So I don't have any inside information. When we found out it happened was when we found out. <laughs> you know, there wasn't anything that led us one way or another. It was a shock to anything. It was... Um, you know, as a, as a, we love the term family, right? Demoralizing when you see a family member go through something and all that fun stuff. So we will dive into that just not fully today. I think um, we're not trying to insult anybody by just act like it didn't happen. We were on the air last week. Shot, I mean, we were on the air last week talking about a head coach and who we're going to bring in. And, yes, do we take shots at teams in jest? Yes, we certainly don't pull – uh, or at least I really don't pull for people to lose jobs. I really don't pull for people to do this. Do I make fun of schools and have a good time? And I hope most people realize it is tongue-in-cheek as much as I pull the, you know, I hate Chattanooga and everything is Chattanooga. I know most of the people down there and do not want them to lose their job. I think uh, they do a tremendous job in what they do. Um, I mean, there might be one Chattanooga coach I don't like. But other than that, uh, he's not there anymore. He was at UMass in case you want to look it up. But um, – that means said, Thursday was a bit of a day that I think everybody needed a day off uh, and that included me or maybe more importantly me and Mike Gallagher needed a day off from that because it was tough with no and still no information other than what everyone else knows to formulate, talk, get through and um, articulate everything that is going on
2: and tough for us, tough for people around here but obviously even tougher for Coach Shaden's family and wish them all the best because I think that he and his people that are close to him, not only family, but friends, everybody that he's got in his circle, deserve the best. And he was a really upstanding member of this community. Um, he's someone that I'll always look at as a really brave individual, um, as were uh, the kids on last year's team. And I guess that's a good lead into Portal Watch because a lot of them are not going to be back it wouldn't appear for this coming season the big one of course tomorrow monsanto and you saw and that's the that, big one yeah you saw that his list earlier today narrowed down to oklahoma state virginia iowa state arkansas butler wake forest obviously a pretty impressive group of names there's the connection with steve forbes and wake forest bo hodges is a butler iowa state's an interesting one traditional power program i think over this millennium but two and 22 last year Virginia seems like kind of an odd That's fit. That's the to me. out of all the
0: schools you named, that was the one I just I didn't
2: get. Yeah, name program and a great coach, and they won a national title recently, and so I get wanting to go there. Doesn't seem like the fit would be there.
0: I don't know that Pac Man is going to be his forte. Uh, I, and again, I, I could be wrong. I could be way off base. I'm certainly no basketball guru, but out of all the the Oklahoma State, won Arkansas on that list.
2: Arkansas, yeah. So Those Those two two seem very – Well,
0: the style of play and everything I think would fit, especially with Musselman. There's some personality things I think work well. Wake, obviously, Steve Forbes all that, and I get that. And I'm sure Forbes is probably actively trying to get him um, and probably using him and Davian and and this, that, and the other. Um, But I would be shocked if Oklahoma State and Arkansas, if it isn't one of those two schools – and I would say Virginia. Virginia. I, listen, that's the biggest name on the list, right? I mean, there's, I mean no question. I, I know Arkansas made the run, but Virginia's two years removed from, from national championship. Or not even quite two years until tonight, champions crown. But two years away, right, from the national championship. Or they went last year. Who went last year?
2: I can't remember. Well, I suppose it'd be two years ago because there's no tournament last year.
0: Yeah, two. It was two years ago. That's right. There was not one last year. Well, yeah. that makes sense. It was two years ago. Virginia's <laughs> national, so they they are still the reigning national champion until somebody gets crowned today. So, I. I can see why he would choose Virginia. I would be shocked if it's not Arkansas, um, or Oklahoma State. And again, I, I could I could see Wake Forest. Um, I would just venture say I could see him more at a state school than a private school. But I did not think I'd see Bo Hodges at a private school either. So what do I know?
2: Other two that are new this week: Sorrell Smith and Day Day Hall. Of course, Day Day, what maybe two it's, months here. I was gonna say and it was. A of coffee. coffee. Yeah must not like how things were going, um, or obviously there's you know, all the things off the court. And it, you can speculate on reasons for the transfers. It does not seem like it is a coincidence, and we can talk about later in Portal Watch. It, when there's a coaching change, you're going to have a lot of people in the portal. It's almost 100% of the time, and I've got a little bit of info on it in terms of current situations. But Day Day here for a couple months, and then Sorel Smith, of course, came in from Maryland and struggled early on in the season, seemed to hit a groove, had really good spurts of play for the box, not necessarily always consistent, but that's kind of how the team was when it was going good. It would be one guy steps up when a guy has an off day, and oftentimes Surrell Smith was that guy.
0: Yeah, and I think he was getting better as an on-ball defender. I think if he maybe had another year to figure out some things offensively, I mean, he had a shot, I think, to do some things uh, special, could have helped the team. I think the, the big thing, those were the three guys that you just mentioned that were sort of after the announcement. The other four guys were gone regardless, right. Right? And I think people try to speculate. but we know why Paul Smith was going. We knew why Marcus Nyblack and Truth Harris were going to go. Uh, now, rather, they've come out and said something about Charon. They, they were gone before that. There, there was no there was no indication that that was going to happen. Ishmael Valdez is the other one who was a walk-on, energy guy, uh, clubhouse leader, if you will, guys really liked um, Ishmael Valdez. But those four were going to go on no matter what was going to happen, and then you had the three others, I think, Monsanto's clearly the guy everybody's going to point to, and then you look at his offers, and then you wonder, well, you know, did somebody just wait to cook? She said that, or you think there were people sending out feelers nowadays? That's always speculation. You never you never really know, but you just need a guy to get hold of a guy or be a high school coach or whatever.
2: And with that list of schools regardless of the reason, That's a I heck of think a move. that he made the right choice. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a running
0: joke with fans, right, like we around the office, not just fans around the office, hey, do you think he'll be here next year? Oh, or, yeah, it like, started I mean, in like
2: mid-January and didn't stop for the last seven weeks of the season. So, I, I don't, you know,
0: and the truth is, again, with people getting to him, you know, would he still have stayed? Maybe, but I don't know that he would have stayed four years. I mean, I, I mean if he put up another year – like he did this year. I think, you know, just the way the world is, especially if they grant the one-time transfer that they believe is going to be granted, that, you know, it's just the four-year guy is going to be so difficult nowadays to get, hang on to, or whatever. So, those are the seven guys in the pool. Ryan Dadeo, we barely even knew him. I mean, honestly, goodness, I think I talked to him once. So, um, wish him the best, too. I think he had some skill set that if he had time to develop, you certainly could see at the Division One level what he could do. And, yeah, the fact
2: uh, they came in and played after, like, two practices. <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> it's pretty – I know, granted, it was garbage time late. It was against the Citadel. It was, like, a 28-point win. But the fact I mean, he's he was on a college basketball floor before most people are done with high school.
0: I was trying to think. He, I think he got in a game at Mercer, too, on the road, like, a week later. Yeah, like, it was yeah, – so, I mean, he crossed. was – I mean, I right. saw something yeah, in yeah, what yeah. he was doing. Yeah. So, um, that's ETSU. Yeah, there are plenty yeah. other portals to talk about.
2: There are. Yes, uh, Furman and we saw Noah Gurley you and me speaking of ringing the alarm. I think we did that a little bit last week when Noah Gurley went to the portal. You were surprised. I think I was surprised. It generally just isn't something that happens at Furman. They have a lot of four-year guys, a lot of very successful and productive four-year players. You don't often see play. It's also a very good academic school, right? So, you don't often see players transfer out. Um great education, also the chance to play a highly successful program, at least in the regular season by Richie. Uh Furman and Noah Gurley look like they're going their separate ways, and the list for Noah is narrowed down to Auburn, Florida, Alabama, San Diego State, Duke, Tennessee, Marquette, Miami. I'm not sure you could ask for a better list of programs than that. Noah Gurley has to choose from. Well, let me say this. He's had,
0: I think he had a good game against, they played Auburn twice. I think he's had a good game against Auburn, so Bruce Pearl seeing him up close and personal. They should have won that game against Auburn a couple of years ago, if I'm not mistaken. Really got hosed on a call that sent him to overtime. So Bruce Pearl, for sure has seen Noah Gurley. I don't remember who else they have played off the top of my head. But I know for one, usually when a coach has seen what a guy can do against you and can envision like, hey, this guy did it to my team, I'm an SEC team. I mean, it's the size and the length, I think, for both those guys, Monsanto and Gurley. That give you that, hey, they play guard with that size and length, and that could help them go to the next level. Can
2: you pass up the chance to go and play for Coach K? Uh,
0: can you? I, I mean, think that's
2: the main question that he needs to answer.
0: Yeah, that's – To I mean, play for
2: a top five program historically, one of the Blue Bloods, right, like in the country, I get that there's other programs that are there that have been maybe more successful over the last couple of years. And the coach K is, some would say on the decline. Certainly older in his career, maybe a little bit out of touch with college basketball. Short-tempered on some press conferences, so on and so forth. Tennessee, Auburn, Florida, Alabama, San Diego State, Marquette, Miami. Do any of those measure up to Duke? I don't know. That's tough. No, that's
0: but tough. you know, but I, I'll say this: there's a couple of good salesmen in Bruce Pearl and Shaka Smart. Yeah. That's and, and 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 you look at style of play and playing with tempo, both those guys. Now, Coach K has changed his style of play and does play more tempo than I believe he used to play. But when you look at Marquette with Shaka trying to do what he's doing, what Bruce Pearl can do, there's some tempo things there that de- depend on Gurley. Now, Gurley's been, you know, that's the funny thing. You know, by Richie, it really wasn't a tempo game, right? It was all sets. It was that. So if you use that philosophy, then, yes, I believe Coach K on top of going to one private school to a a solid private school and academics, right, Furman to Duke. I think playing more sets probably Gurley is used to. He knows how to execute the offense and all that. But you get a couple fun-loving guys that want to open it up, want to play fast, want to get the points up and down, then I'm curious, you know, I could see any of those three schools being the front runner just because I think Shaka and Bruce do a great job of recruiting and getting guys to buy into that fast system. And then as much as I thought maybe they were a leader in the clubhouse and how I was approaching this, now I'm starting to see private school run some sets. It is Duke. You, made, you, you, you swayed I mean, me. You, you have. You have swayed me on that. I, I, used, I usually like to uh, stick to my guns and tell you you're wrong, but I'm, I'm going to have to concede that you have, uh, you, you've turned me to uh, now it's a three-horse race.
2: Winning you. Equals ten bolt predictions victory. So I pulled into the. Oh, Thank you very much. Said, no, okay, terrible, Western Carolina. Terrible. Just in the last 36 hours, the catamounts have seen Xavier Cork, Corey Hightower, and sincere McMahon go in. Those coinciding at least a little bit with the departure of Mark Prosser. To win th- now, the real question here is, maybe we should save the Mark Prosser conversation for Thursday. Oh, please, let's do it. Because we've got a lot of things to unpack there. But I now count seven in the portal for Western Carolina, if you include Matt Halverson, who, of course, is already going to Florida Gulf Coast. Cork, Hightower, McMahon, Mason Faulkner, Cameron Gibson, Tyler Harris, and Travion McRae. Make that eight. That's eight. I just counted eight. Uh, so, eight in the portal, if you include Halverson, and that is... Exodus, if I have ever seen one, I guess my first thought would be it didn't seem like players and pros were really on the same page last year, but apparently with some of the transfers that have gone in, there were at least a few players that liked him. Uh,
0: the, Apparently, there are a few players that liked him, but I, I just, I mean, that's, that's about every starter or contributor, yeah. yeah, I was trying to think, is there any name we're missing out of guys that played significant minutes for him?
2: Who's most intriguing to you on that list? I have my answer.
0: You're going to go Cork, aren't you? I am going
2: to go Cork. 6'9", 235, and shoots it at like 67 I was going to go Hightower. Oh, interesting. Because okay. Hightower,
0: his numbers at Presbyterian. I, I wasn't sure he could do that in the SOCON, and he did. And so he could be yeah. a double-double machine. Now, I think he's got to get with somebody that has to convince him he doesn't need to shoot threes. If they can get somebody to convince him he can't shoot threes and just play his game and not have an extra two or three miss shots from the outside, then I think – uh, to me, it's Hightower. I, I will say this. After Hightower, out of that list, I would probably take Cork and then either... I just think
2: Cork is more rare. at 6'9". McCray or, or Harris 35. for me. Uh, Harris,
0: 6'7", 195. Is a, he,
2: the size of Cork <laughs> no, I is me.
0: I'm okay with Cork. Um,
2: that's our top eight scorers, by the way.
0: Oh, yeah, the leading
2: it. returning score will be, should he uh, return, Marcus Thomas, who was a senior, and then Amir Langley. Freshman, so I don't think I've seen him in the portal yet, but keep your eyes peeled. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. yeah. M- uh Mercer the other big one for me, Leon Ayers. Mercer sees the Juco mm. transfer. I really liked, averaged twelve a game this year, fifty two percent from the floor, thirty nine percent from three. Of course, Mitch Prendergast and now Drew Thomas also in the portal. So two new ones for Mercer and Leon Ayers to me um Outside of, why well, can't I kind of remember the point guard's name that I really, really love, Neftali Alton Alvarez. Neftali Alvarez, uh, and I thought Ayers, those two were uh, the top players on that team this year. I know people love the other guy. I can't remember his name, the shooter. Um, you Cummings? Yeah, Ross <laughs> Cummings. I <don't> <laughs> <people> <laughs> <love> <laughs> Cummings. say you're going to bring him. Say no, I'm, no, not him. Okay. Okay. I'm not bringing up Bender either because that's
1: got okay. a trouble. Magic Bender. Uh,
2: but Ayers and Alvarez, to me, were... The top two in terms of consistency, skill, basketball, IQ, uh, game changers. And that one of them now is in the portal is going to really, really hurt for uh, whichever Gary is writing it down there. Is it Jeff Gary? Greg Gary, that's it. Jeff Gary's is the player.
0: Jeff Gary is uh, the player. and I can't remember
2: anybody's <laughs> name for <from> Mercer. <laughs> I, well,
0: I, the one thing about Ayers, he, he caught fire in the Southern Conference tournament, too, and was a real reason why they. Oh, man, this just dropped. Well, for people that are hoping Furman wouldn't be able to play Wofford, and Wofford moved to play ETSU, Wofford footballs opted out the rest of the season.
2: <laughs> what is going on in the Southern Conference? I mean, there's a rumor the that there's a weeks. rumor North Dakota
0: State is mulling this over.
2: Can't lose a national title if you don't make the FCS playoffs. They're, they have uh,
0: some some. They had, I think, a starting cornerback decide yesterday just going in the portal. He didn't want to play spring football anymore, and. Some other things. so
2: Have a bunch of no contests. Technically, you're the defending champion when you played up until the end of the season, right? Yeah, you can see
0: that. Yeah. Oh, man, that just dropped. Okay. You're uh, trying I to look back for back.
2: men's basketball news on Wofford, and then boom, Wofford. Yeah, <laughs> <and> it, just, <laughs> it just, it it, it just, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but Lee, I like,
0: uh, I thought Leon Ayers, the one thing I thought that cost them in the ECSU game was he m- made a mistake defensively, I think on back-to-back plays. And Greg Gary wore him out, and then you didn't hear from him the rest of the game because he had a ridiculously good first. I think he had 13, 14 points in the first half against CTSU down there um, and really struggled after getting yelled at, and I don't remember what it was. Uh, but he, I, I want to say he messed up 2 Bucks got a couple quick layups. I think they blew him. They weren't going to um, switch. They were going to switch, but Leon, I think that was – Maybe the downfall, that miscommunication between them.
2: It really didn't help. Uh, no. Sanford, six are still out there. Luke champion Preston Parks, Christian Gassmeyer and Gordon, Jalen Dupree, K.J. Davis. No movement there. Jermaine Marshall is coming in. Sophomore from Akron, played just 132 minutes, also spent a year at Florida Southwestern State. So the only thing that's changed with Sanford is that they have a newcomer. They clearly have plenty of roster spots open, so Bucky McMillan can tell Jermaine Marshall to start, then play two minutes the entire game and go back to the bench while he plays 18 people per contest. Wofford, you're looking for men's basketball information. We've got some here. Zion Richardson still out in the portal. Of course, Storm Murphy, Virginia Tech. We knew that. Trey Hollowell has found a home. Moorhead State NCAA tournament team, 23-8 last year. I kind of like it. I, you're giving me the eyes, like, what in the world is he doing? I think that's actually a good fit because, again, I didn't think he was going to get a Power Five, Group of Five type offer because he's not great at any one thing. I think transferring to a winner now you could argue that Wofford has been a traditional winner in the Southern Conference along with Furman, UNCG, and ETSU. You hate it. You're just looking up in the stars looking for answers and you have nothing and you're so confused. And I realize
0: I just went to the tournament. Yep. Okay.
2: Traditional mid-major power, Moorhead State. You
0: go from, I'm just, what I'm mind-blown is the facility shock. He he must have did that over Zoom. (laughs) Because to go from the indoor Jerry Dome to Moorhead State and that arena in that town, And a bunch of other things. And and to be honest, I mean, I realize that they did what they needed to to win this year. But that is not a traditional, as you make jest of that, OVC team that's going to win and win and win. And maybe they're trying to build that with this. But I'm just trying to go over the facility shock of everything and all the bells and whistles that you got in the brand new three-year-old facility. It's basically he's going to go back. I don't know if he was there as freshman here would have played in the old arena. Gym, I'm not gonna call it arena. The old gym, where right behind the goal was the brick wall. (laughs) That's about what he's gonna go back to. So I'm just, I'm shocked by. Wow, you're shocked. 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 I
2: wasn't so shocked by that. Okay, UNCG. Michael Hewitt Jr. still in the portal. They also, the Spartans add a body, as did uh, Sanford. John Newman the third, Clemson transfer. Now this is where I gotta catch your attention because six five two zero seven at a guard position, four points, couple of rebounds per game at Clemson but did play a decent amount. Could he be the answer if there's no Isaiah Miller? If Isaiah Miller does come back, could he be a nice complimentary piece? That just kind of took me aback for a second because we know that they're going to be looking for options, and when you can get a Power 5 transfer, certainly a head-turning at least a bit for uh, Wes Miller.
0: Yep, and, uh, you know, Wesley's still going for the, the UNCG job, his dream job. He's still trying to get that. Oh, he UNCG there. job. He doesn't have the will, job. will they have that job? He may have that job. Yes, <laughs> so, um So I'm just seeing him maybe they're making a change later on. But, <laughs> okay. Um, but he's still trying to get the Carolina job, uh, and if he gets that, then, you know, who, who knows how these things go because, again, with the Clemson guy. Uh, John Newman the third still go there because again when you're a transfer like that you don't actually sign paperwork you kind of just hoping and wish they show up on campus, but I uh, I think Langley's gonna get Caleb Langley's gonna get most of the shots just watching some of the Good luck. things and uh, Miller and I was a little disappointed as I'm sure he was too that he got hurt in the dunk contest and uh, had a first ridiculous there's a underneath view of the like behind the leg windmill three six it was a ridiculous time i mean he's got a 50 inch vert i mean so you can, and then he tried to jump over a guy and landed awkwardly and unfortunately wasn't able to go and i hate that because you know i like for any of those guys to be able to showcase what you can do show what our league can do so i do hate that i would be shocked if he came back if he comes back and i know it's popular to play somewhere else um i think if he came back he would play if coach miller's still there and maybe he's waiting on this If Coach Miller's still there, I think he would come back and play for Coach Miller. If he goes to Carolina, then the head scratcher, does he go to North Carolina and play with his coach, Wes Miller, or does he realize, I can make money? He he has an opportunity to make money and start a career, and he's been to a couple of tournaments. I'm still going with, if I had to put it, uh, 70% he's going pro to go make money. I'm going to go with twenty percent, twenty-five percent. He's going to go to come back to UNCG with West Miller, and five percent if West Miller gets Carolina, goes Carolina.
2: So what you're telling me is it's Shashevsky versus West, West Miller in Duke, North Carolina, and it's Gurley versus Isaiah Miller in yep. North Carolina. Yep. So kind, oh! shows his dominant. and oh! and what is
0: shocking about that is that in the semifinal game, right, it would have been Carolina beating Kiva Lume, Storm Murphy, Virginia Tech. Oh. Again, and then, and then, of course, Duke would have beat Wake Forest, which would have had maybe a yes, Monsanto. Is it it is. It's They can't beat the SOCON, so they rape and pillage.
2: Wow. VMI, we're essentially rounding this one out. Greg Parham to South Alabama and Miles Lewis to McNeese State. We knew that. Trig and Fall, still out there, but all this is the same as last week. Jet Nugatray Dumas and Prosper. Obi Doobie, still available. uh Guys, we won't see in the SoCon. We love this part of the segment, part of the show, part of Pro, uh, Portal Watch, because obviously uh, it is, if only, but certainly not. Jabri Abdurrahim, you may recognize the last name. Sharif Abdurrahim's son. Played only 32 minutes last year for Virginia, but just Formerly like Formerly
0: Chris Jackson, by the way.
2: J- oh, really? Yeah, that was
0: his name before he changed.
2: Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, just like, are you sure that wasn't Mamad Abdurrahim? mm mm-hmm. that might have been my Yeah, mind I think Google. it was. I think my Uh thirty two minutes last year for Virginia, the son of Sharif Gurahim. But I think just like Mark Prosser, it will be about the name. Six seven and two hundred and fourteen pounds. Jabri will find a power five or a group of five program if I'm to venture a guess. Do you think that name, if you're a player, can carry you that far? I do.
0: Yeah, I, no, I, I think it can. I think it certainly it, it certainly plays a part because there's an opportunity for relationships, right? Sometimes it's just about relationships. And when you have a name and you are a great college player and played you know, significant years in the NBA, then I think people take a shot. Sometimes I'm just hoping that genetics and everything uh, carries you so far. So I believe Namesake will help him get a bigger school than Southern Conference.
2: Rocket Watts! Oh, really, love want really want that name of the Conference. Michigan State transfer in the portal. Struggled this sophomore season, hitches thirty four percent of his shots, twenty five percent from outside, but he was a starter throughout that time with the Spartans. Probably too much time to fall to the SOCON, so we will not be seeing a rocket land in the socon I would not think. Whenever you're a starter for that amount of time, clearly you've got incredible amounts of talent. I think he's going to garner some attention from other power fives or certainly group of five schools. Christian Lander, transfer from Indiana that shot at just twenty-six percent from the floor last year, only made twelve of forty-four threes. You may say that sounds pretty attainable to me, but you can't forget the rep that he built in his time in high school. Originally a top fifteen recruit nationally and a five star guy I would think, Jay Sandoz, that those five-star recruits have seen the stars go to their head and going to the Southern Conference is not for most of them.
0: Yeah, I'm assuming he he, he can't fathom that he would be anywhere but a Power Five, maybe, maybe Big East. I mean, one or two, not even the group of five. It would be a Power Five and maybe like a Big East team, maybe Villanova, something like that. But I, I believe he believes that he has to have a name on the front of the chest.
2: Okay players we may see in the socon and as we're talking the 1200th player just went into the transfer portal 1200 did it cross over on your screen yet 1199 I'm, I'm just hitting refresh just 1200 okay yeah, i'm one person ahead of you certainly it's going to come for you in the last 20 30 seconds of the show if it isn't there already uh but 1200 now in the portal um there's 27 footers and i'll get to that in just a second but first there is one man that, speaking of transferring and you kind of hope and pray that they show up on campus, Jalen Johnson, who ETSU may have hoped and prayed, came to campus, but then Steve Forbes left, and he followed C Forbes to Wake Forest. We know his story well. Second time in the last week, as a matter of fact, that we mentioned him. Technically never a member of the SOCOM, but was committed-ish to ETSU. Five points, 2.4 rebounds per game at Wake last year. Do you think that the second time the Charter, Johnson, is the charm for Jalen Johnson in the SOCOM?
0: Well, considering his assistant coach at Tennessee is now the head coach at ETSU, I would I would assume unless uh, unless they they didn't get along or uh, Coach Oliver doesn't think uh, he wants to build a team around Jalen Johnson or Jalen Johnson, just like, you know, uh, I've already been there, done it, I want to go somewhere else. But that does lean to a natural tie to come right back to a school that he thought he was going to come back to and play for a guy that I'm sh- assuming he'd be familiar with the system and everything else. So I'm going to give that a shot at the Southern Conference. I'm going to go 60% shot.
2: Sam Freeman, Minnesota transfer, 6'10", 240. I know you think this is a little too big for the Soka. Well, I
0: also think that you always try to find a Minnesota transfer to come here. It does it. seem like Or it. from yeah. the state. Yeah, nothing that's else true. Scared.
2: I can't be the only one. Uh, 14 shots last year is all he took. Sophomore hasn't played extensively any of his two seasons that were there. Number 18 prospect in Texas coming out, so I don't necessarily think there's too much clout there for him to come to the mid-major level, unlike a five-star guy like Christian Lander. And finally, of course, the seven-footer. We always have to include one. Joseph Hedstrom, Wisconsin. Am I reaching to say that a seven-foot, 240-pound former Big Ten center could end up in the SoCon? Consider, if you will, the fact that he has played only 30 minutes in two years there. If you do think that it's a stretch, don't worry, I have a backup. Kuba Kurwowski from Utah State, seven two two twenty, originally from Poland, who played about the same amount as Hedstrom in his time at Utah State. I'm gonna go two options. How about that? Yeah,
0: I'm, oh, what was the Wisconsin guy again?
2: Joseph Hedstrom. So Hedstrom's got a shot. Okay.
0: Two reasons. Okay. Uh, one, Lamont Paris was a longtime assistant in Wisconsin. Okay. And he's got the transfer. Well, it was Arizona State that no, Vila was from. I believe it was Arizona State. So he's already gotten a Power Five big man once to come to Chattanooga, and having more ties, having ties with Wisconsin, I'm going to give that I'm going to give that a 43% chance of happening.
2: I like your exact figures. And then what was the uh, the, the guy you keep pushing on me? Uh, Kuba Karwowski. Yeah, Karwowski. Kuba Karwowski, seven two two twenty, Utah State. Originally from Poland, and nothing says smooth transition like Poland to Johnson City.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go uh, 4%. 4% chance. Uh,
2: Top five teams with most in the portal, and and we mentioned this a little bit with ETSU players going to the portal, coaching change. UT Martin with 15. We know that their entire squad is going through a coaching change. Ryan Ritter takes over there after being at Bethune. Cookman is the head man. Portland with 13 in the portal, of course. They let Terry Porter go. Leggins, you're company, still hurt by that, from by the Eastern Lord. Washington. I have not slept a wink since. Albany with ten, they let Will Brown go, who had been at Albany for 20 years. Dwayne Killings, the new head coach there, former associate head coach of Marquette. Jacksonville has 10 in the portal. They had to suspend their season because of COVID-20 of COVID-19 in late February. They then fire head coach Tony Jacek. You're starting to see a trend here. Green Bay with nine. Now this wasn't a direct coaching state change after the season, but first-year head coach Will Ryan formerly the head coach of division two wheeling apparently not doing a great job of making friends doesn't seem like at least they went eight and 17 last year and they've got nine in the portal so he's still there but he's only been there for what nine months and then george mason fires dave paulson hires tim english i do think that's an intriguing hire also from tennessee uh, as is the man that we're going to talk to in just a bit desmond oliver eight in the portal at george mason so you see that even when you hire a name It's not automatic that you're going to get players back that are in the portal. They're still out there, still considering their options. It's not an automatic thing.
0: It is not. And I think after today, when we come back Thursday, you know, we may see is there any I know we like to do Portal Watch on Tuesdays, today's Monday, because we're having the announcement we did a day early. But kind of curious if we find out that ETSU, nobody has left or decided not to leave at that point kind of curious to see what is the percentage of minutes played and stuff back that compared to what they've been the last several years see how that stacks up because obviously right now David Sloan, Bonnie Patterson, Silas a decade, I, I do think a decade is going to be here because I, he had a two year um, master's program and you've talked to him, he's all in on academics and wants to finish that up and wants to do some business things and so I believe he's going to stay because he's more concerned about academics than who's coaching at this point in time, but there are guys that are going to be back. The guys will be added. The transfer portal will be a little more entertaining. Maybe that Thursday, but if nothing real exciting happens, we'll do it on Tuesday as well. That being said, 3 o'clock today, there was a news conference. It was announced that Desmond Oliver is the new head coach, and you had a chance to talk with him. I don't know if you want to set that up.
2: Yeah, I I think I talked about 20 minutes ago in this segment about how I feel for Jason Shea. Always going to admire his contribution, what he did, specifically when it comes to off-the-court issues and, um, and everything that he was just able to give on the court, of course, as well, because he's a great coach. But um, there's some things that are bigger than basketball, and I think Jason Shea personified that in his time here. Um, and we're going to talk some about that with Desmond Oliver in our conversation with him, um, first conversation that anyone will have had with him since he was named head coach here at uh, here at etsu uh, boy just probably an hour or so ago from when this show is dropping uh, feel for jason shea and definitely always there for him and want the best for him and i think he's going to do extremely well i'm also very excited for desmond oliver because as you mentioned nearly three decades working up to this he's been at nine different stops as an assistant coach and he told me a bit off air before we chatted and he was very generous with his time i talked for him minutes after we were done with this 20-minute conversation that's coming up, um, after we wrapped up the recording, we just kind of sat here and BSed, you know, and it was good to get to know him a little bit, but he talked about how he had always been on the lists of people that these head coaching positions, you know, whatever school it was, wanted to hire, but he wasn't all, ever the guy, and he's been targeting ETSU for a while now, and so um, after the head coaching change last year, this time around, it is Desmond Oliver, and really a him taking the time to join us on Santos and the Sidekick because um, he seems like a phenomenal, phenomenal individual and great
0: coach. He talked uh, a lot to me off air. we did a video, like we kind of did this with um, Coach Harris where you did the podcast, I did the TV video stuff, whatever you want to call it and again, talking to Coach Harris off the air, I did the same thing, talking uh, with Coach Oliver and it was interesting I knew that Coach Shea, uh, Coach Forbes were tight with kind of Rick Barnes and his staff and he talked to me a lot about uh, Steve Forbes and because Steve Forbes had kind of bounced around and he had bounced around that they had actually become friends and and leaned on him about the job and checked in on it and a few things so again one of those situations where uh, it's interesting to see that the basketball community which is large is sometimes small right it's just seeing how that is, and then uh, hearing sort of his philosophy and talking about growth sort of his philosophy on growing young men and his journey I think was very interesting and he gave me just a snippet because I had about 10 minutes of time right. to do I and, so, to and uh, you did but uh, and I've listened uh, to that uh, already just to, to get some insight on it just you know, honestly just to cheat so I could hear it before everybody else got to hear it so uh, I thought it was great and without uh, further ado we'll take a time out when we come back we'll be able to hear that interview uh, with the new head basketball coach the 18th head coach in each issue of men's basketball history, Desmond Oliver, with Mike Gallagher. For this time out, San Jose Kick, Buccaneers Sports Network.
1: This responsible gaming message is brought to you by the Tennessee Lottery. When you play the lottery, it's important to play responsibly. Know your limit and spend only what you can afford. Set a budget and stick to it. And remember, as long as you're having fun, you're always a winner in our book. The Tennessee Lottery is a proud supporter of National Problem Gambling Awareness Month. To learn more about problem gambling resources, visit tnlottery.com. I've learned a lot. I've impacted a a lot of young people, a lot of of young student athletes, um, and win championships, help we connect communities. And so what I'm feeling right now really is an excitement for the next chapter, and that chapter is really taking one seat over um, from assistant coach and the head coach and having a chance to impact this university and, 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 and community.
2: Let's look back in your journey. I think particularly what caught my eye was the beginning of it, kind of an interesting one. The last coach that we talked to on this podcast was Simon Harris, just a couple of weeks ago, new ETSU women's basketball head coach. He knew he was going to be a coach at 12 years old. Your story, Coach, is a bit different. Fill us in on that.
1: So my story is different. My story basically goes back to, you know, being you know being a young man in Buffalo, New York, um, who had a single mother, and she understood – we had a tough neighborhood in front of us, and she wanted me to go to college. Um, and that was her dream.
2: And early on, she
1: always talked about having the, the ability to work hard, be organized, and a dream. And a dream was having goals, being goal-oriented. And her, 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 her plan was to use uh, academics and sports as a vehicle to go to college. So I played one year of high school basketball. I went from being one of the worst players in, in the city to one of the better players in the city. And I earned a scholarship to Dominican College um, via Junior College at Genesee Community College, where I played one year there. Um, and at Dominican, um, I, was a, I was a three-year starter um, on the basketball team and uh, captain for three years. And I never, ever thought about coaching um, basketball. My plan was always to go in and get a Ph.D., to graduate, get my, you know, get my undergrad degree. Uh, I earned a scholarship to Buffalo State College, went back home, and I was going to finish up and get my PhD and hopefully become a president or director of a program or an AD or something, something where I could impact young lives um, and find young people like myself that needed guidance on the college campus and help them become great and have great careers. And along the way, uh, Jack Armstrong at the time was the youngest Division One head coach in the country at Niagara University. Jack offered me um, a job to come in and, and really the same – Situation helped bridge a gap between he and his players, um, and it, it it turned into the best job I've had in my 27 years only because I wore so many hats. Uh, I was able to be Jack's right hand man and learn the budget. We sat every every day. I sat on Jack's couch, him at his desk, and I learned how to run a program. Um, and then before there were all these you know different type of player development you know on staff and strength coaches, I was the strength coach. I was a video coordinator, I was the academic liaison, which meant I ran study halls, I helped our guys plan their classes, I checked classes on my own, Um, I drove vans, I drove our guys to and from places on a regular basis, Um, I did highlight videos, I was the on-campus recruiting coordinator for that program, Um, player development guy, before and after practice, and so I wore so many hats that I fell in love with it, and by the end of the season, he offered me a job to be full-time assistant coach, it's been 27 years, and I will say this, Jack Armstrong saw a coach in a 24 year 23-year-old you know, graduate student that was taking a one-year break, and it's turned into a great career, and I'm excited that he did that, and I'm excited to be here.
2: Talk about Jack a little bit. You decide that coaching is your life. You make it your life. You own it. You step into it, put all of yourself into it. Outside of Jack, introduce us to some of the main characters along the way that have helped shape you to build towards this opportunity.
1: Well, mentors. Um, there's been three basketball mentors in my life. Um, and, but really, I, I can't even start talking about those three until I mention my mom was, was by far the best at setting the table. Um, just taught me to be relentless in my, in my pursuit, um, respect people along the way, have high character, and do things the right way. So she she's the first real true mentor. Certainly Jack did his part. And then Jim Barron. Jim Barron hired me at St. Bonaventure University. I left Cornell University to, work, to go work with Jim. I was there for one season, and then Jim took a job at Rhode Island, and the job was challenging in the sense of uh, the the very first week of him being there, he called me and says, Des, I need you to get in your SUV. I need you to go to New York and Philadelphia back-to-back weekends and recruit. The problem is I have to spend these next two weeks talking to donors. So you're the only guy on staff right now. We have six scholarships to fill, and I can't help you at all. I need you to go evaluate the guys and, and see who's good, and then do all the home visits and get those guys to campus and get those guys committed during the late signing period.
2: And I'm not going to lie to you.
1: I called a, a good friend of mine, Rob Lanier, um, and I was very, very nervous and intimidated uh, and, and, and really not certain I could get the job done. And Rob said, this is this is your opportunity right now to prove yourself and show that you're one of the best assistant coaches in the country. Take, take it on, own it, and, and, and go do it. And you know what? I went out by the graces of God, rolled my sleeves up, worked really hard, and got lucky in some instances, and signed the right guys. And those guys came on board first year. Our team was young, you know, not very experienced, only won eight games that first year. But in year two, went from eight wins to 21 wins and was one of the most improved teams in the country. And I'm proud to say that I helped my head coach, Jim Barron, at the time sign a lucrative contact, contract in year two 10 additional years with an extension and, and that's probably one of my most proudest moments as an assistant coach.
2: You seem like you like a challenge and always have. We won't ignore the obvious here. You walk into a situation that isn't perfect right now. Far from it. Players are in the portal. A culture... I think that's maybe a bit fractured within the university at the moment. A lot of outside factors that don't have a whole lot to do with basketball makes it tough on a basketball coach. How do you plan to address all of the other things going on outside of basketball as you step into your time in Johnson City? Well, I mean, listen, it, it,
1: it's, it's it's not as simple as waving a magic wand and making it go away. The reality is, you know, as a, as a program, my, young, my student athletes are going to get out day one um, and spend time in the community, meet and greet, talk, um, embrace, have, have difficult conversations if, if necessary, invite you know our community to campus. Uh, I actually want to have you know as many camps this summer as possible and, and do one camp where literally it's, it's a free camp where we invite the community here to campus to meet myself and my staff spend time with my guys. To me any kind of healing when it happens happens when two sides get together. Um, we all love each other. we all need each other. they need us and we need them um, as a community. And my young people, these student athletes, need to learn how to be leaders. And what better time than when there's a little bit of adversity and you're a young teenager or you know or young 20, 21-year-old 20, to be able to go out and find the right words and the right way to communicate with those around you and really impact your environment at the highest level. So I'm excited about this challenge, and I hope our young people are as well because clearly, um, outside of us wanting to have a you know have a great team on the basketball court, uh, uh, you know my goal is trying to build young men, um, and, and build young men uh, into young leaders. Like when when the ball stops bouncing, to me these are the situations, uh, are the challenges that when you're 19, 20, 21 years old and you experience and you have a chance to impact them in a in a, in a positive way, that really give you the confidence to be to be a great husband, to be great fathers. Um, and, and have a great life 25 years from now.
2: So, correct me if I'm wrong, but you more see this as an opportunity to maybe shift some of the cultural things that are going on, rather than a barrier that would have kept you from taking this job. Is that correct?
1: No question. When I arrived in Knoxville six years ago, different different circumstances. But the reality was, the team that we inherited had, you know, several head coaching changes. Right? I think I think Coach Barnes was the the, the the third head coach for several of our of our of our seniors and it was it was a challenge trying to trying to you know, create trust and, and earn trust our community felt like because there was so much traction and so much change you know at UT that when my family and I went out you know to the churches went out to the gyms went out to restaurants and we bump into people just just casual fans and talk about our program they, they were very negative because they hadn't had that consistency um, for years and they were they were curious as to one what type of young people would we recruit would they be high character or just try to get talent to win games and, 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 to, and totally you know not not consider the importance of bringing the right individuals to help bridge and connect the community with the campus and you know what we did we rolled our sleeves up um, one, one we communicated and we shared our vision with those fans and, and I'm, I mean having a having a burger at a restaurant, and talking to a total stranger and telling them here's here's what, what and what my vision is as an assistant coach who recruits. I want to bring in these type of young people. Um, young people that want to graduate, young people that love basketball, young people that have high character, and young people that have great drive, and the same type of young people that you want to have around your children, educating them and inviting them back to campus.
2: You mentioned the turmoil at Rhode Island, Summit Tennessee stepped in and there were some obstacles to success how do you feel like those different situations have prepared you for etsu here and obviously knowing that this issue is extremely complex the one that's floated around this program for the last six or eight weeks but with some of those other experiences in adverse situations how do you plan on using those how do you think that you can use those to apply to this situation
1: well, I mean, certainly those those have all those will all help me because I mean those were all college, you know, programs that had their own fair share of challenges. Niagara had their, had its fair share of challenges. Again, the players, when when Jack Armstrong hired me, the whole idea was I was the only African American um, staffer, and my job was to connect his young team that was full of African American players um, with the coaching staff that was a bit older, and that didn't look like them. And, again, there was no magic wand that could be, you know, waved to make that happen. And all I did was roll my sleeves up, communicate with, with, with both our staff, our players, combine, spend time together, love on them, debate, argue, um, find, you know, just ways to communicate and learn and, and mature um, and, you know, and help our staff mature and learn about our young folks. Because the reality is, as adults, you know, um, this generation of young people is constantly changing. And the methods that we use to, to teach um, and to learn how they think are different. Um, and so those were all all challenges, um, those programs, you know, from, again, Niagara to Rhode Island to Georgia and now in ETSU. But what's prepared me is life. I grew up on the east side of Buffalo, um, single-parent household, no father figure, only child in an environment that was as tough as any I've ever seen. And I've been everywhere. I've, I've been to Compton, I've been in Harlem, I've been to Baltimore. There is no place I've ever seen in, in, you know, in the U.S. that was more challenging for all the reasons, academic challenges, you know, neighborhood. Um, and, and I had to deal with those independently by myself, no brothers or sisters. And I didn't, I didn't approach it negatively. I didn't take on the world and want to fight the world. I literally communicated, <laughs> I made friends, um, I work my butt off I earn people's respect for doing things the right way I, uh, I work with high character the same things I'll do here as head coach and over time they realize this guy this, this, this young man is different and all of a sudden instead of having adversaries and, 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 and people against you I had allies I had people in my neighborhood that were that were anxious and excited to see me do well and you know what and they taught me. I learned because, again, no, no father. It was just my mom and I, and she had to work to support it, so she wasn't around a whole lot. So it, it really was a village ha- having to raise a young a young person. I, to me, I see the same opportunities here on campus and off campus for our young people.
2: What's your vision for this program, Coach? There's building blocks, pillars for every program. Coach Forbes was gritty, grimy, tough together. You know, there's acronyms. There's all kinds of things you see around the country that people put in place to represent and characterize what they're trying to do. How do you see this program, if it is at its best?
1: My vision for this program is probably unlike any other. I mean, I'm sure every every head coach is thinking the same thing, um, is this. I want to win champion. I want to continue to win championships here. Um, and, and we're not there right now. Um, there's, there's some work that needs to be done, um, you know, again, in every aspect, on the court and off the court but to continue the pursuit to win championships. I want to graduate every student athlete that comes through our program at a high level. More importantly, I want every young man that that, that takes part in East Tennessee state university, men's basketball to strive to be the highest GPA program on campus. Why is that important? It's important because I'm sure our young people, a lot like, like me when I was a young man have, have heard doubters um, in their lives, you know, people that may feel like, you know, you're not, you know, worthy of, of, of getting a three five. You know, you're you're this level student, and in life, you you want challenges, and you want to be able to you know to compete with the best. When you learn to compete on and off the court with the best, it prepares you, in my opinion, to have a tremendous life as an adult. You know, so so win championships, graduate by student athletes, compete to have the highest GPA. Um, you know, in our department, and then lastly, I don't think enough head coaches talk about this enough in in a sense of when the ball stops bouncing, are we doing our part in those four or five years, or if it's a transfer, one or two years that you're on campus to prepare you to, to do something great? Um, my dream is when I recruit a freshman, and I know, you know transfers and the guys out in here to be a little bit more different where I have to find a creative way to, to, to make up for lost time, but when a freshman comes to our doors before his sophomore year starts of college, I want to make sure that we partner. With career development on campus, and like Dominican did for me uh, in college, find a way through personality tests um, to figure out who am I, what are the best careers and best jobs that I should look to go into. So now when a young man in our program picks a major, he's not choosing at the easiest major just to get through and get a degree to play ball. He truly is thinking about 30 years down the road and finding finding a career that he can excel at um, and do a tremendous job of networking, getting internships here. Uh, I want to establish mentoring programs here that hopefully lead to job placement, whether it be in this community, whether it be in Knoxville, whether it be in North Carolina, wherever these young people are from, I want to have programs that we have here with connections that help them um, connect for life after basketball. Like That's the vision. Coach, it's
2: tremendous to hear you vision, because that's what you just gave us, and I know myself and everyone around ETSU is very excited to see you put it into place. Thank you so much for the extended time today. Again, congratulations and welcome. If there's anything you need from me, from us, we are here to support you, and I'll let you enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks again for the extended time. Congratulations, Commissioner.
1: Thank you. Thank you. New head coach, Desmond Oliver, ETSU the Basketball. Santos
2: on the side, can't grab enough for Monday, thanks again to Coach Thank you.